G'day, I'm Gary Ridge, the consciously incompetent, probably wrong and roughly right, CEO of WD-40 Company, and you're listening to Slapcast. Welcome, everyone, to episode 41 of the Slapcast. I'm so thrilled to bring to you this episode's guest, and so we're going to dive right in. Gary Ridge, according to author Mark Crowley, is the CEO most of us wish we had. And after speaking with Gary just a few weeks ago, I'm going to have to agree, and you're about to learn why. He's the chairman of the board and CEO of WD-40, which means he's in charge of things like strategic direction and leadership at the board level, but that doesn't even begin to give insight to the heart and motivation of this man. And I'm excited for all of you to learn more today about Gary Ridge. Gary, welcome to the Slapcast. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Gary, you have a quote on your uh, LinkedIn, and it says this, that your philosophy on company culture is that pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Tell me why that resonates with you so much. Well, you know, I wish it was my quote. It was actually Aristotle's quote in 384 BC. And the reason it resonates with me so much is it's, it's so practically true. Um, we do better when we like what we do. And it's simple as that. How do you take folks that maybe formerly viewed their job as just a, like what I like to say a J-O-B, right? They look at it's just a paycheck. First of all, do you believe that there's a way to engage those folks to increase their productivity, increase their engagement, increase their job satisfaction to move to a higher degree of satisfaction that this isn't just a paycheck, but I actually get enjoyment out of this. Do you believe that's possible? Oh, I don't only believe it's possible. I can prove it can be done. Um, <laughs> you know, even, even a dumb person like me can create an environment where people go to work every day. They make a contribution to something bigger than themselves. They learn something new. They're protected and set free by a compelling set of values and they go home happy. Yeah. You know, Dan and Chip Heath wrote a book and they cited a study that was done. And in that study, they, it wasn't their study. It was, it was another study. And they looked at employee passion and purpose. And what was interesting was that employees that self-identified as having a low passion for their job and a low purpose on their job. So low passion, meaning I really don't love what I do and low purpose, meaning I don't really see how it matters. Only about 10% of them were high performers. But what I found was interesting in that study was that even those who didn't love their job, if they felt they had a higher purpose, and I'm pulling this out because you mentioned it, 65% of those that put themselves in that category were high, were identified by their supervisors as high performers. And that really flies in the face of what, of what my high school call or my high school counselor told me. They told me, just go get a job that you love and everything will be great. And this study proves that even people who don't love their job, if they can connect to a higher purpose, it made a huge difference. They were in the 65th percentile for productivity. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, I believe that And when you think about WD-40 company, what do we do? Now, 
we sell oil in a can. Well, there's not a big purpose about that, right? But our, but our real purpose is we're in the memories business. We exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes, and workshops of the world. We have a just cause, which is make life better at work and at home. So when someone asks me, what business am I in? I said, I'm in the memories business. And what's better than creating positive, lasting memories for people? I love that. And I love that that you started with, we have an oil in a can. (laughs) And when we, you and I first met uh, just a few weeks ago, what did I open up with? I said, I just want to thank you for not getting woken up in the middle of the night anymore. Because when my husband comes into the bedroom after I've gone to bed, now my door doesn't squeak anymore. And then you told me that there were over 2000 uses for WD-40 and then proceeded to send me the list. And I could not believe in that. And I know, and I'm not, trying to get into the the details of that, but rather to say that, you know, the ability to take something as simple as oil in a can, and I think anybody can create a higher purpose. I, how do you help people? How could other leaders of companies that feel like um, they're struggling with connecting people to a higher purpose, how, how do they do that? What are some tips you can share with folks on that? Well, the first one is, are you truly committed that it's about the people? It's people who come first in the organization. And, you know, in these times right now that we're going through, it's, it, it's more obvious than ever. You know, if you take the will of the people and multiply it by the strategy of the organization, you get an outcome. So what about if the will of the people was 10 and your strategy was 90? Your outcome is 900. Mm. But if, you, if the will of the people was 90 and your strategy was 90, now you've got 8,100. <laughs> so our job as leaders is to create a place where people go to work, they're cared for, and what does care mean? It means that your empathy eats your ego instead of your ego eating your empathy. As a leader, you're there not to be in charge, but to take care of the people in your charge. Everybody who comes into your organization is someone's precious child. Mm. And our job as leaders is to take care. And so the first one is, do you care about your people? And that doesn't mean that you are just soft-hearted. Leadership is a balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted. So you've got to get that in the middle. The second thing is, is are you candid with your people? Uh, you know, we say at our company, no lying, no faking, no hiding. Most people don't lie. People fake and hide. Why do they fake and hide? Because of fear. And who creates that fear? Leadership creates that fear. That's why we say at our company, we don't make mistakes. We've never made a mistake ever. But what we do do is we have learning moments. Mm. Learning moments are a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. The third tip I would give it, or the third thing people have to do is make sure that we're prepared to be very clear about what we're gonna hold each other accountable for. What am I holding you accountable for? What are you holding me accountable for? And are we prepared to have that conversation? And the last one is, are we going to be responsible? Are we gonna treat each other with respect and dignity? And, um, and that's really, the, the foundation, and then having a clear set of values in the organization that set people free. That's interesting. Can you say more about setting people free? What do you mean by that? 
Well, a lot of organizations or people I talk to think that values in an organization are restrictive. They're not restrictive. They're there to give people boundaries to set them free. So if they people know the boundaries, they know where they can play and they know where they can't play. So they all they they feel safe. They feel secure. So you've got a set of boundaries. People know the playground. Go play like hell and have fun. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Something you said about having a place where we're not motivated by fear. When you're talking about being candid with people, sometimes I think talking about the the anti-example helps people identify a little bit quicker. So what I'd like to hear you comment on for a little bit is what happens when, you know, what does it look like when we're leading from a place of fear? So I want, I want to take the perspective of the leader right now. What is happening from the leadership perspective when they're leading from a place of fear? And how can I better know as a leader if that's where I'm coming from? Because I, speaking from personal experience, I didn't realize that that's how I used to lead. And once I realized it, I knew I didn't want to be like that anymore. And then, of course, it was a journey of figuring out, you know, how do I undo that? How do I begin to unravel that? How, what are some ways that leadership can figure out that they're actually leading from that place of fear and, and are in part responsible for the lack of results and productivity that's going on around them? Well, let me introduce you to someone. <laughs> Uh-oh. I knew this, this was going to happen. This is Al. <laughs> Al is the soul-sucking CEO. <laughs> and I'm going to share with you his bad habits that create this place of fear. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay, Al's number one bad habit, he's the master of control. He know, He's the know-it-all. He knows everything. Number two is Al thinks he's corporate royalty. He's fought hard to get to this number one spot. So, you know, he better have his private parking spot and someone better make his coffee. <laughs> Al thinks learning is for losers, where the servant leader are expected to be competent because they're learners. With Al, ego eats empathy instead of empathy eating ego. Al, he always has all the answers. He knows everything. He's always right. He's got to always be right. He's, he, he, he leads with a fear-based culture instead of being a champion of hope. Mm -hmm. He loves to micromanage. Oh, he thinks micromanagement is, management is essential. He doesn't follow through with his commitments. He doesn't do what he says he's going to do. And he hates feedback. He absolutely does not like getting feedback. So there are the, the habits of Al, the soul-sucking CEO, who creates these toxic cultures that people hate going to work every day. Isn't it a, isn't it a shame that 64% of people would take a pay cut if they could fire their boss? Oh, that's shocking. And why? Because of this is their boss. Because of Al. Because he's an Al. Yeah. Now you take Al, uh, well, probably before COVID, you, you take Al and you, you talk about this, the soul-sucking CEO, uh, you go places and talk about this. What's, what are some of the uh, types of group, like the groups of people? Are you talking to leaders? Are you talking to entire companies? Who, who all gets to hear this message and, and how are you getting it out nowadays? Well, um, you know, I talk to 
leadership groups. I talk to a lot of HR professionals. When I'm talking to HR professionals, what and I start talking to Al, this is what I see in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody knows an owl, um, which is a shame. So, uh, you know, that's that's one of the things that is is, is a shame. Is everyone knows an owl, uh, and they've done a lot of bad. They've created a lot of toxic environments, which is not good. Absolutely. Now, you are, I believe, you're still an adjunct professor at the University of San Diego, correct? Okay. Correct. You teach leadership development, talent management, succession planning. Um, I believe in the Master of Science and Executive Leadership program there. Take us back a bit. We have, the audience doesn't know yet, but we have a common connection at the University of San Diego, Ken Blanchard. Tell us how you met Ken and how, how Ken's, uh, both he and the company has impacted your leadership and a lot of the change and um, growth that's happened at WD-40. Sure. Well, back in 1997, I was given the privilege to lead the company, and um, we were about one-fifth of the size in revenue and one-tenth of the size in, in market cap. We're a public company. And I went, oh, dear, what am I going to do here? Um, so I looked around, and I decided I wanted to go back to school. So I went back to school to the University of San Diego, and I enrolled, enrolled in this master's degree, uh, which is a master's degree in executive leadership. And it's a program that is um, half put together by Blanchard and half put together by USD. And Ken had a, had a vision. Had a, he said, most MBA programs get people in the head. Mm-hmm. we got to get people in the heart. So I went back to school, and that's where I met Ken. He was one of my professors, and uh, um, I learned and continue to learn. He's still a mentor of mine. Um, he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, we wrote a book together in the end, and I took a lot of Ken's learning and teaching, and I put it into practice. And that that, that of it that worked, I turned up the volume. If it didn't work, I didn't do it anymore. Most of it worked. Um <laughs> We back then had an employee engagement number of below 50. Ooh. Um, today, it's 93%. Um, it's been that. We have a goal of getting it to 95. And since then, I am so committed to servant leadership that I've sent, I think, 34 people through that program that we fully funded. So we've got 34 people in the organization that have master's degrees from the University of San Diego in servant leadership. That is incredible. That is incredible. I didn't know. I don't think we talked about that part before. I love that you believe so heavily in that program and in servant leadership that you're helping folks get their, their it's a master's, right? A master's. Correct. It's in, a master's. That's amazing. Now, you mentioned this book with Ken. You co-authored a book, Helping People Win at Work. Yep. And... It's, it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's based on a philosophy of yours of don't mark my paper, help me get an A, right? <laughs> and I want to hear more about that book specifically, why it's so important to think this way as a leader. And as I told you before, I'm a former educator. I guess I still am an educator, just in a different, uh, different venue. But I want to hear more about that philosophy of don't mark my paper, help me get an A. Well, it was at a kind of an ardour moment for me. Ken was telling a story about when he was a professor and he used to give out the final paper for the exam at the beginning of the course. <laughs> and the administration at the, at the university were all over Ken's case saying, hey, Blanchard, what the hell are you doing giving out the final paper? 
And he said, not only am I giving out the final paper, my job is to help people learn the answers because life is not about, you know, some normal distribution curve. It's about getting an A. So I want these people to learn. And I went, oh, duh. Look, what do we do in organizations? We have these lousy review systems where we're not very clear about the, about the goals and we never talk to people during the year. And at the end of the year, we get together and we say, oh, hi, this was the year. This is what you could have improved on. Um, here's your grade. Or if we're really, really terrible at it, we have some algorithmic program that's a computer program that we go in and punch in numbers and we create a grade. And what we really should be doing is creating an opportunity for people to learn along the way. So the whole book is based on what does an A look like at the beginning of the year? You sit down with your tribe, we call them tribe members, your employees, and you identify there are three to five very specific goals that are a link to your job specification and you define what an A looks like. If an A walked in the door here today, what would it look like? Mm -hmm. And you both agree. And then you have a second section, which is more about shorter term goals. And the third section is all about our values. So you only do one review at the at the company that's your own and then every at least every 90 days you get together and you the employee or the tribe member grade yourself you say this is what we agreed and here's where i think i am and my job as the leader is to coach you to help you get that a yeah because we are coaches we're not managers at our company we don't call ourselves managers we saw ourselves a coach and a coach's job is not to play on the field a coach spends most of their time on the sideline and in the locker room, observing the game, observing the play and helping the player improve their performance. And um, that's how we've rolled it out. And it's been extremely successful. Many companies have adopted the principle. They've probably tweaked it a little bit to suit their own. But the whole, the whole purpose of this is to create the conversation. At least every 90 days, I'm sitting down with you and we're looking at where you are. And my job is to sweep out of the way the roadblocks. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about when you talked about setting those goals, because I think this is key. Um, and that, as you said, we both agree. So it's this collaborative approach, this, this partnership. And the reason why that stood out to me was I'm currently facilitating uh, Ken Blanchard Companies has come out with an online like self-paced version of SL2 because with COVID and everything, it's um, we're not doing face-to-face -face workshops and sometimes doing 16 hours, two days on a workshop with a, a team is, is a challenge right now. So they've got this amazing online version of it and uh, you do debriefs with the group. And so I was debriefing the group on the, a few modules today and one of the participants said, it occurred to me, and because they were learning about the Ken Blanchard version of SMART goals, what stood out most to them, what they learned in the modules was that giving a SMART goal is a collaborative process. It's not me telling you what needs to happen by when, which is how I was taught how to write a SMART goal, who does what by when, and in specificity and all that good stuff. But I was never taught this intention, this approach of that that is really you know, the leader has an idea of what needs to get done, but you're sitting down and having a conversation, a collaborative decision around, is this motivating to you? Is this attainable? Explaining how it's relevant and getting agreement, having an alignment conversation, getting agreement on, can we get this done by then? And mm -hmm. that whole process, this one of the um, folks in the training, she had said, I'd never 
approach setting SMART goals from a collaborative process because I thought as the boss, well, I need to know all of that in advance and give it to the person. Otherwise, I'm not a leader. And I think there's some toxicity there in leadership. And she's a wonderful leader. I know this woman. This was just bad information she was given that she had to have all the answers and she actually felt set free by the idea oh I get to collaborate on this goal with my team member and therein I build in motivation and um, accountability with that and that person can be excited about it so I just wanted to point that out to the audience because that key phrase that you said that we both agree on this SMART goal, I think is key into really getting them to be motivated and, and kind of intrinsically motivated even. I learned something a long time ago. You cannot make anybody do anything. Yeah. <laughs> However, if, if, you, if you do both agree in a motivated way that something has to be achieved and you, you both have an investment in that outcome, then there's a chance that you'll reach the outcome. Yeah. I... I I firmly believe that leaders want to show up well for them. I mean, maybe there's a few that just don't care, but I think people in general want to do well. What if we want to focus on if, if the gold standard, let's say, is helping people get an A? What are some things that keep leaders from showing up that way? What are some whether it's a mindset or, or a, a skill? I, it, I don't know. But what do you think keeps us from doing this? Why Ego. don't we want to give people the answer key? Ego. Ego. I think. Ego, I think, is the biggest, uh, the biggest roadblock. It's instead of empathy, they're, they're coming from a place of ego, which is I'm coming from me instead of empathy, which is about you. Yeah. Imagining what it's like to be in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when we think about an organization. Education is when you, when you read the fine print experiences when you don't when you put both of those together you get learning from learning you get knowledge and from knowledge you get wisdom so in an organization you have to help people with the formal education but you've got to give them the exponential experiences to bring that learning to life and that's what you're helping people win at work is about is yeah, we're going to make sure you've got the, the competencies, but we're going to give you the actual experiences to be able to bring those learnings together. And then they're going to embed those learnings and you're going to have knowledge and you can share the knowledge out. Okay, that's all the time we have, folks. Before I go, here are some reminders. First, please, as always, like and follow on all the socials at Relay Leadership. Contact me here at slapcast at relayleadership.org for questions, comments, even guest suggestions. I want to hear who you'd like for us to have on the Slapcast. Also, Impact Columbus is coming up later this month on September 30th. It's an all-virtual event in two parts. This means no matter where you are, you get to join us for this event. No need to drive on into Columbus. You can just, from the comfort of your home. The event kicks off with a one-hour live virtual event followed by a virtual conference. And I want you to know this live virtual event, you're not going to sit there passively and just listen to us for an hour. It's highly interactive. You get to upvote questions. You're going to interact with our uh, guests who are, quote unquote, on the virtual stage. And then as soon as that ends, you're going to have access for life to a virtual conference where we have 13, possibly 14, we're waiting on confirmation on one more speaker, up to 14 speakers who are going to be talking about everything from employee engagement in this new virtual world 
all the way to this confluence of COVID-19 and the racial revolution that we are in right now. Please check out the diverse lineup of speakers at impactcolumbus.com where you can also register and get your ticket. All right, that's a wrap on this episode. Be sure to tune in in two weeks from now to catch the second half of our interview with Gary Ridge. Peace out. Peace out.